Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen, and with me is Ted Haycraft. Yes, we have returned. We have returned. When we'll be back is up in the air. When <laughs> it's been it's been quite, a long quite the abyss the abyss, the abyss. We've quite uh... quite the time away. Uh on today's episode, we will be talking the would you call it controversial 2022 uh, Sight and Sound, British Film Institute, uh, Best Films of All Time poll. Yeah, that's what prompted this, really get, get, got us going here. Yeah. Um, um, but first off, what have you seen recently, Ted? Uh, you know, I've seen, I, I finally caught, caught up a lot of the theater. I caught up, I saw She Said and uh, and uh, Bone and all, uh, Bones and All and The uh, Ticket of Paradise and Until. Uh, they're all good. They were all solid. I, 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 there's a lot to talk about to all of them. But you know what I really want to talk about? I, I caught up to, uh, I don't think it's available here in America, or maybe it's streaming somewhere, is a documentary by um, the Cinema Paradiso director on Ennio Morricone. Really? Oh, I loved it. It's amazing. It's well, it's right up your alley. Well, but yeah. It's over two hours. It's it's by uh, you know a filmmaker that worked with Ennio. Uh, yeah. On several. That's a similar Pedro Diesel score is a great score oh, amongst, yeah. amongst others. Obviously. Yeah, and it goes, you know, it, it covers Ennio's, and you think, oh, you know, how are you going to do this? You know, because it's, you know, he's about, it's music and just show, but uh, he does a really good job and covers all the bases. And I, I, I got uh, Ennio was alive when he did it, and Ennio sat down. It's like, like it's like the Dylan. Scorsese there's always that vibe that Marconi got a little um not ornery but just kind of like uh, uh not towards the end of his life he was he was definitely doing less American scores obviously yeah he, oh yeah he, I think he's in a unique well you, you get you get a, you're gonna get this in this documentary okay but his personality about it, uh, his wife doesn't talk in it but he had a strong wife behind him that supported him and and do it could do what he wanted to do the whole uh thing about uh uh the, the absolute music versus soundtrack movie music, and when I say the absolute, that's a word they came up with. That's new to me, but it's like you know modern symphony music. Yeah, it's created. They were using that. How, what do you call that? Just you know, uh, you know, if uh, Beethoven was alive and just doing symphonies and not doing movies. Yeah, this, I know. Like a lot of classical people, when they talk about John Williams, are just like, this is legitimately good classical right. music so, versus it's just not movie music but it always has that functionality of good movie music that's addressed in this documentary too uh, uh, a lot and it's really fascinating i loved it that i re- highly highly recommend that eastwood shows up tarantino shows up oh nice uh, a bunch of a bunch of people uh uh, show up for it too. I have a friend of a friend who's met, uh, sat down with Morricone for uh, afternoon for a work related thing. He had he had some eccentric stories about it, but <laughs> they are not mine to tell. But uh, yeah, like I said, I was I was glad to see this was done before he, he uh, left us because he shows him like his, his exercise he does his his regimen, and then it shows him playing on the piano and talking and his hands moving. It's just really very insightful. Okay. Um. My big thing I want, I just finished watching the um senior uh the Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Sr. documentary. Uh it's good. It's yeah, I saw, saw, I just saw that in somewhere uh, an article on that. Yeah, no, I think it just went up on Netflix on Friday. It was it was Oh, good. Sound. Cuz I was looking at the site. Oh, cuz <laughs> fair yeah. enough. Uh, but the movie I kind of wanted to talk to you about that I saw recently, I think uh, if we do a few more episodes consistently coming up, one constant thing we're going to constantly be bringing up is uh, Quentin Tarantino's cinema speculation book and how we both, yeah. I know, I oh like it. Oh my gosh. We, yeah, we do. I mean, I want to talk about it. I mean, I can talk about it forever. Well, there was a few, um, there's a few big, uh, uh, mo- I mean, it obviously expanded my watch list a lot, but, uh, but there was some, one of the things I first dived into was like obvious movies that, 
um just for some reason he, he has a list list of like near perfect movies in there and on that list were um dirty harry and death wish and i watched both those for the first time since coming back but death wish is the one i want to talk to you about uh that was not what i was expecting <laughs> there's so there's so many different it's 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 fascinating to um i mean i'm i don't yeah i don't want to make it you know sound like all me me me, me and stuff but uh the uh he has a term that i use a lot with you guys when i talk to you guys about a perfect film mm-hmm. and i think there is such a thing as perfect films uh i mean and then i remember like i like one one of my perfect films is north by northwest okay and i showed up at the library not too long ago and, and so this one guy from the book broker showed up and he's like sitting there and he's like almost like prove it to me this is a perfect film and he pointed out the fact about the little kid the the, the kid anticipating the gunshot and grabbing yeah, his ears goes, well you can see that and it's like no, I, I, I'm not trying. There's no such thing as a, you know, if you're gonna be that literal with the word perfect. Where you're, you're, what you think is enjoyment, and I think is enjoyment, might be two different things yeah. at this point. Like, what is that? What is that? What threw you off? Yeah, yeah. the uh, it was like you know, don't don't. Uh, it's a very uh, literal t- interpretation. Yeah. And, I, and so I was glad to see Quentin with something like Jaws. Obviously, I think almost a lot of us agree that Jaws is a perfect film. Yeah. So. I thought that was kind of cool because we're going to kind of get into this with this. We are definitely going to get into this. Subject. But uh, yeah, so I thought that there's so much more in that book. Well, so the, de- the Death Wish for things I want to talk about were, I mean, I, some of the movies that he made me watch or mentioned to watch were things that like I think I would have dismissed out of just kind of this odd Nixonian, um, like he, he has a passage where he talks about how people inaccurately call Dirty Harry a fascist movie. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of topics about uh, racial politics in the 70s. Like, has a great bit on why Taxi Driver, Harvey Keitel's character, he, Harvey Keitel shouldn't have been in the movie. It should have been, it was written for a black pimp and it should have stayed a black pimp. <laughs> which is, which brings, thinks, makes me think uh, Eric Bracemith and I, US and I film professor, we're just and I talk about uh, uh, the new Elvis Mitchell uh, black documentary which i haven't mm-hmm. seen you have i have yes it's uh, very good buddy and eric thought it was really good so i'm dying to see it but uh we, we're still going why aren't that much black element in once upon a time in hollywood no we and we talked about but, that on our novelization episode yeah, too so, uh, um but the thing about death wish that i want to talk to you specifically about which i did find i've never i, I guess i haven't read much on death wish but it was still an element i did not see coming i thought was interesting was the trip out west is what motivates him to get a gun and then this whole like using bronson's western roles interestingly is like half the like because i knew that he was like this like fallen liberal who you know it was like this supposed to be that play on that joke of a a liberal is a conservative who hasn't been mugged yet or something like (laughs) that and um but just the the cowboy ethos and like uh old western law enforcement like that was a big part of the movie yeah i don't i mean it had are the any of the sequels worth it uh well there's there's all kind of interesting defenses for the sequels i mean i was was recently jay uh i i was so surprised uh quinn's a big uh uh defense uh uh defends all the jay lee thompson uh programmers he did sure. with Bronson. And i'm like oh my gosh you know i i've always just kind of just like dismissed them and got like, oh boy, another J. Lee Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but now I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to stop and look at it again. And, uh, you know, and of course, Michael Winter did the second Death Wish. But then, um, what about, I never, did you ever hear the term Vegematic? 
Revengematic. Revengematic. I think that. I think that's that's that's. I think that's Quentin Tarantino's term that he's trying that he's had personally and he's been trying to popularize. I guess so because I I'm like I've never heard that till this book. I think. Well, I mean, one of the issues I've had with the like almost only issue I've had with his filmmaking Tarantino's filmmaking output has been the reliance on the revenge stories but i mean there's yeah but look at all the all the ones they're doing on their podcast him and avery you know no no i mean he's he's, tea, they're all he's making the point that that's a big part of um of film writing and film storytelling <laughs> apparently yeah. um, a lot of people in hollywood want to have revenge against somebody dive into the uh, uh let me let me start pre- the preamble so we're on a group uh chat thread and i saw the link posted it and <laughs> i went on the endless rant about because i saw this list and i was like what it, I, what i saw wasn't a change there wasn't any changes and i was just like man this is rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic that is cinema like all these academics just just had the exact same fossilized cocooned movies that they and and then you casually are like you know this is the 2012 list not the 2022 list yeah i was kind of curious and i went over to the science sound facebook page and i'm like we're gonna announce in two days i'm like oh and then (laughs) well then when the inevitable list came out all those complaints went out the window very quickly yeah uh yeah very i was shocked i think a lot there's a a shock wave heard around the world on this thing as amongst Film critics and film fans. Joseph McBride uh, faced most about it, uh, and uh, and Trainers quote, and there's all kinds of. So let, let's 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 get to the core of it. The big issue is that there was a new number one. Uh, it is not Vertigo anymore. It is not Citizen Kane, which had it had had it for years, but it's Jean Delman, the yeah. Chantal Ackerman film from 1975. Right, and that's not even the official title. It's, it's, it's much longer. Oh yeah, no, and, and I, I can't. Even, I'm not even trying. To I it. we I was going through the math. We have mentioned it on one episode of the entirety so far, and I had to look up how to pronounce it just because. Well, okay, so we're going to be talking about a lot of foreign films here. We should put it out of the way. I think there's going to be a a very interesting thing. You you and I watch a lot of movies, and we have to be really open about how many of these movies we have not seen, and also being. How many movies we're going to butcher the pronunciations of? Yes, especially me. I'm known for that. Yeah. Uh, I well, I you know, not, I'm not bragging, and I mostly I did I did my count. I think we're right. We're one off. You and I. I think I did. You know, you said eighty. I've seen eighty of the hundred, and I've seen like about forty-one of the top fifty. Uh, seventy-nine. But I've seen seventy-nine of them. I, when I went through it, I, I'm pretty sure that's. And then. And when it came to um, one of the new top tens, uh, Claire Denis' uh, Beau Travail, uh, it's on HBO Max, so I almost watched it uh, yesterday. You did watch it? No, I was almost oh, did. I'm going to watch it. We brought it that in. Tracy Cinema Society back in the day brought that in. I remember going, and scratching, I remember scratching my head over it. Uh, and uh, the uh, and of course, you know, the funny thing is, is, you and I watch so many films, we read a lot of books, we read a lot of articles. Uh, a lot of the films I've never seen, haven't seen, I know, I know it seems like I almost know them, though, you know. Sure. Uh, yeah. There's always a lot of that. Uh, growing up, uh, I would read, you know, essays on Bergman and Fellini, and just what you know, imagine what these films were like. And now I can, I've seen them, or I can, I have them on my shelf ready to watch. You know. Well, there's a lot of these movies also uh, where I may admire the director, and I may have a completely different favorite film but, oh, from that director. Exactly, yeah. But in the movie itself, I'm like, well, I think I saw it in college, and it almost feels like. 
an assignment that I maybe don't remember some. And then some of them I'm like, oh, no, I, de- I remember there's this great sequence in there, too, that I love. Yeah. Right. So for the central controversy, we're, you mentioned the Paul Schrader quote on Facebook. And I mean, Alex Ross Perry kind of did a documentary on with, with big chunks of it that had to do with him. On, hit, so entertaining on Facebook. The classic, um, if you know, the Simpsons, meet old ma- Simpsons meme, old man yells at cloud. Uh, yeah, Schrader is, is equal parts entertaining, equal parts telling kids to get off his porch. Um, I'll read the full quote. Oh, I'm not going to actually the last sentence, but... Um, for 70 years, the sight and sound poll has been a reliable, if somewhat incremental, measure of critical consensus and priorities. Films moved up the list, others moved down, but it took time. The sudden appearance of Jean Delman in the number one slot undermines the sight and sound poll's credibility. It feels off as if someone had put their thumb on the scale, which I suspect they did. As Tom Stoppard pointed out in Jumpers, in democracy, it doesn't matter who gets the vote, it matters who counts the votes. By expanding the voting community, and the point system this year's Science Sounds poll does not reflect a historical continuum, but a politically correct rejiggering. Ackerman's film is a favorite of mine, a great film, a landmark film, but its unexpected number one rating does it no favors. John Delman will, from this time forward, be remembered not only as an important film in cinema history, but also as a landmark of dispo- distorted woke appraisal. And I hate it when people use woke as a pejorative negative, but uh, all right, I put that in. <laughs> Well, I know the last sentence. That's and then that's a friend of mine who goes, and there Paul becomes a fascist. <laughs> um, and I'm not happy with my first reaction to it, but I, I my very very first reaction was similar. It's it's tricky because you want to talk about this, you want to be supportive of women filmmakers and not sound like a misogynist. But I, I, a few years ago, um, Scorsese had come up with a list of. Uh, for his daughter of films like this is what I want you to inspire and didn't have any uh, female filmmakers on it. And a thread I was on, one friend started complaining about that. And I went on this rant. Look, the current stats are women comprise, at least in America, 50.5% of the population, meaning men are 49.5% of the population. So in those theories, women should be directing 50.5% of movies. But if, you, if you're familiar at all with San Diego State University has this place called the Center for the Study of Women in Television and Film. They've been doing a lot of studies for the last like you know, 15 years. In terms of critics, the news 2022 study says that men uh, critics outnumber women critics two to one. Men, uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes right now, 69% of critics are men and 31% are women and 0.3% are non-binary. And that's down 4% from 2020. And directors um, are crew people, directors, writers, producers, executive producers, editors, cinematographers. Women are only 34% of those, of those in narratives and 43% of those in documentaries. So I but in theory if we did have the 50% and women had made up 50% of the movies made up to this point then we should have better representation. Right, but the history the, the history shows that we don't have and it's unfortunate we all know we can all agree that, this is you know, it's a, a loss. This it's a couple of white guys you're talking to, and we don't you know we don't want to. Yeah, let, let's in, in the guys part particularly. Let's focus like definitely in the guy part. But the we this is what we have to play with. We wanted to be better. It should be more fair and shared. But that's this is what we got. Well, and then we're trying to correct it and trying to catch up and trying to make it. You know, uh, so do you, but do you do you force do you re, re rewrite history? 
to make this list or well but uh, and the thing i've been thinking of since my first reaction is isn't this how you do the corrective i mean your first reaction might be that yes a thumb is on the scale but it's also you bringing up the the successive works of women that and and place them in a higher place because i mean a big chunk of this is uh, is because of the expansion of more critics it went from like like something like 600 to over 1300 critics for yeah. uh, participating in this poll we may have to do a sequel to this part this episode just as have you watched the film have you seen the film which which film the number one gene yeah yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I, I okay i haven't that's crazy to me. That's crazy to I me know. as a film fan. Like, you, no, no, no. I'm not that you haven't seen the it. It's, it's just that, that that you picked that number one, and like, there's a majority of people I know who haven't seen it. Exactly. And the minute it came out on here, and, and the minute it came out on Blu-ray on Criterion, it's a great Criterion. Blu-ray, I, I I ran out. I, I grabbed it, bought it right away. Really excited because I you know I had read mm-hmm. about it. I knew about it. It's right up there. And uh, I was thinking, okay, this is great. Then I just never carved up the time for it, and I just and I'm, I'm you know I'm guilty about that. So I'm I'm you know hopefully I'm glad you saw it. I'm glad you've seen it so that we we have some justification here on talking oh, yeah. about it. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Chantal Ackerman, but I have seen that one. But I have you know I I, I obviously have I knew about her, I read about her, knew about this film, and I just was surprised. And I think it's it did it do you see it as a uh it it was impactful, innovative, and it, it was a. Was it our, our, our yes. visual, uh, artistic sh- uh, difference that it caused? I mean, uh, I think. I mean, I think uh, you have a movie that, had, as far as I could tell, was never mentioned in any of the previous polls, taken to number one. Well, it's in thirty. It was thirty-five. I thought in the previous one. In twenty. In twenty twelve. I think so. Okay. And it jumped up from thirty-five to one. Okay. Uh, it's a big jump. I mean, yeah. but I mean that's not unprecedented. So. All right, there's two things I have specifically I want to go over. But the first one is I had this idea of, are you familiar with Harold Bloom, the literary yes. critic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought I was going to uh, get his book, The Western Canon, <laughs> and find a definition of good canon. And I I kind of perused the opening. And I, my, rep, my, um, I've always, Harold Bloom has a bad reputation in my eyes from other authors, like talking down just about how academic snobbery. And so I was reading this and I, it was very, very, academic but quoted in the book is uh, another canon critic that he talks about sir frank kermode uh, he wrote the book forms of attention which he says canons which negate the distinction between knowledge and opinion which are instruments of survival built to be time proof not reason coups are of course deconstructible if people think there should not be such things they may well very well find the means to destroy them so basically when we come up with lists they're mean to be taken down but also later in this book, Harold Bloom kind of makes the point that on a basic level, a canon is designed as um, either educational or recreational as there's only so much time we're going to be alive. There's only so much works of art you can look at. This is a guidepost of what guideline. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it comes down to being a guideline. Um, well, I fa- finishing this up, I found another quote from Cromo that was actually more uh, on point. So he'd been going around doing lectures about canons. And he found uh, that he was getting a lot of hostility, mainly for canons and have a uh, lack of uh, gender in these canons was tacitly anti-feminist. But then later he started coming around to this because by definition, canons are celebrations of works that have already been celebrated. And then you're trying to figure out which one deserved it, merited celebration. And if men have been primarily been writers, the main writers for years, then it's going to be celebration men and women are going to be marginalized in it. 
It's just it was a question of like, is it okay to switch a cannon this fat quick, this fast? Does is, is it become a credibility issue too, or? And also, did you see they 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 expanded the electorate? A lot more people voting. This yeah, way. as I was saying earlier, it was like six hundred to thirteen hundred. Huge something expansion. Like that. Uh, so that gives you a lot more viewpoints. And they also said they didn't sight and sounds. I think the criterion for voting: if the film made a personal impact on you, you could vote for that. So that's you know how 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 much you carve the guidelines for your voting. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah uh, it's not like like the thumb on the scale. Like, there's no. It was a collective thing. It's yeah. it's kind of like the academy expanding to younger voters too with uh, the Oscars. Right. The uh, of course I'll, I'll look forward to the. Uh, it's probably gonna be on the website at some point. My my print issue will be coming here in the mail soon. It's it, funny we're do, I, I, we're doing this without having looked at the uh, print issue and everyone else's. Yeah, and all the tip, all the top tens. Yeah, the American issue has my subscription copy runs behind because it's coming from mm-hmm. England, obviously. But um, this goes like when David James uh, had me on his radio show, uh, he's a local uh, former news anchor, and he does a radio show on the PBS station. Yes, your top ten. And he goes, bring me, bring me your, your, your top ten film list. And I've said, well, David, let's do this. Let me, let me, I'll bring you a top ten, but it's going to be my personal top ten. And it's not going to be – I can give. I almost have a separate top ten where it's Citizen Kane, Lawrence Arabia, you know, certain Hitchcock, certain uh, – I mean, I could, it seems like I almost could divide that up. Uh, because I mean, uh, to me, they're obvious. Uh, yeah. Things, you know. Well, okay. Let's let's also go into the uh, history of this list. There's a reason we're talking about this list in the internet age, where lists are everywhere. And every- remember the AFI list came out. They made a big deal about those. And, sure. And, and they were network specials. There was a quote I found of Roger Ebert, and I think this was influential for me paying attention to this list. What he said that most film film lovers pay attention to this list: the Sight and Sound British Film Institute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the diehards. I, I got a. When you speak of the what level of film fandom? I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who love films. They don't even know what sight and sound is. Sure, so. sure, sure. <laughs> well, but so anyway, when they first started this list, they um, so the, the it started because there was this thing called the Brussels referendum, and it was it would have been in like uh, around the first sight and sound list was fifty two. The Bru- Brussels referendum was before the first sight and sound list, and that was filmmakers. And so sight and sound started this list like, well, let's get critics together to do this. And it just seemed like it was like the first one point at one of the um, uh, uh, preambles to one of the lists made the point that pre-video, much less around the 50s, there wasn't even a ton of literature on film history at that point. They mentioned two specific works. Uh, Paul Rotho's The Film Till Now from 1930. And then there's uh, 1938. uh, I think it's a French one. History of the Film. And like those were two big books that would have been around in 1952. But otherwise, you have to rely on a critic right then because they're the only ones who've seen all this stuff. And going back to the repertory cinema for that. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Uh, for years and years, still, you know, video stores came along in the video world, and the home video market, everything. I I was just I, I, only time if I ever got to see some film close to a sight and sound list type film. Would be on a campus, maybe on a college campus, or if I got up to Bloomington or something like that. You know, not get a college campus, but it was uh, rare, and I just read about them and 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 have books on them. Uh, so I had a I had an encyclopedia film book in my eighth grade graduation 
my dad gave me, and I would look up all this stuff, Bellini and Trapeau and Godard, and, you know, I would look up all my favorite stuff, but I'd also look at other things, I'm thinking, when am I ever going to see these, and, and what are the good ones to see, and they must be important if they're in the air in this book. When was the first time you remember the Sight and Sound list, or heard about this, as a, as, and then did it have the same reputation as something like Ebert had suggested for you? Yeah, yeah, ever since, I've been subscribing or reading, buying Sight and Sound for, uh, since the 90s. Okay. Uh, late 80s, the 90s. So you would have been around for the 92 yeah. poll. This, this yeah. is every 10 years, and it's on the second year of a decade. Right. And uh, so, yeah, and, and it's a great guide. To my, to my mind, I keep on thinking I'm going to catch up and at least see these 100 before uh, I pass away, which won't be too soon, maybe. But, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you only have uh, 21 <laughs> more now. Uh, yeah, that's true. For this list, it's not that bad. Uh, not that bad, huh? Yeah, like, so I, I'm going to take a second on this, but one little exercise i want to go through is there there's there's not a ton of newer movies in like uh uh, uh mulholland drive in the mood for love are probably the newest ones in the top 20 yeah and what what, what or i think those are the only ones in this century what do you make a mulholland drive being that high uh when's the last time you watch rewatch mulholland drive it's been a while but every it, time i rewatch it that movie gets better it's better. better than blue velvet i think so I think even though this thing's a hodgepodge of a TV pilot, I know, which is why it's it's odd that it feels so organic. But I remember the last time I watched it, I was like, it had the David Lynch feel of you know surrealism and uh, rationality, but it also it's just like a straight story, like not not, pun not intended. It just felt. (laughs) It so, felt like a, like wait, the, but, uh, that ending that was tacked onto the pilot made total sense. But, but it was re- I, really well written. Doesn't it seem to be on there because it's it's the it's it's the uh, the commentary on, on Hollywood LA. going going to, going to Hollywood and trying to and what Hollywood does to you. I I am uh, not against if someone tries to say that uh, Mulholland Drive is David Lynch's best film. I really. Fascinating. Okay. Well, no, the, the, I mean, Doctor Strange Love made a lot of appearances on this list, but when I was going back through the list, like Doctor Strange Love isn't high. They, it's, only, it's not even on here. It's only 2001 that they always go back to, and uh, like, and it really hit me as I was going through all these lists of like, you, Vin, Kubrick's a director's director. Like, inevitably, there's going to be some other. Why is The Shining on the top 100? And yeah, you have a former Razzie winner on the top 100 there. <laughs> Um, um, but anyways, an exercise, what I did, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to take a second, but okay. I want to go over the top tens of every list and I want to point out to you guys how old these movies were when they're voted in. So in 1952, number one was Bicycle Thief. It was four years old at the time. Number two, City Lights, 21 years old. Uh, tied for second is Gold Rush, 27 years old. Four, Battleship Potemkin, 27 years old. Five, Intolerance, 36 years old. Five, tied for five. Louisiana story. Are you have you ever seen this? No, I have not seen the Louisiana. Have you heard of it? Yes, I've yeah. I had not seen it. That's four years old. Seven greed, twenty seven years old. Um, number tied for seven is uh, Le Jour Salvive, thirteen years. Seven uh, tied for, seven also is Passion of Joan of Arc, twenty five years old. Ten really new brief encounter, only six years old. Uh, also ten Le Million, twenty one years old. I. Uh, and then rules of the game, I didn't write down. Brief encounter. Wow, it's that sounds so. Yeah, now that it sounds so frivolous to have that on the list, but and then, I mean, but it's I mean, it's a great. It's a great. A lot movie. of these are just like interesting choice. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's just so well, uh, and and well, I, I didn't write any of the directors list down there. I've heard also the argument the directors list is maybe the one which yeah, Strange Strange on the list. So yeah, we, that yeah. one's on. But Lawrence of Arabia has been an appearance off and on. Well, wait, wait till we read up. Wait, wait till we've got the ones that got knocked off this year. 
Oh, okay. I have a list for you. All right, then we go to 1962, which Citizen Kane finally comes out at number one. It's 21 years old. Uh, two, at only two years old, is Love and Tura. Number three is uh, Rules of the Game 23, Greed, 37 years old. Yugetsu is nine years old. Battleship Potemkin is 37 years old. Bicycle Thief is 14 years old. Ivan the Terrible is 17 years old. La Terra Trema, which I'm not familiar with that, is 14 years old. And La Talant is 28 years old. See, well, you think about Antonioni. When he got, when he got he started mastering his style. So he said he's only two years old. He's on the he's in the top ten already. Uh, Red Desert sixty three. Has he made a has he made a movie since uh, La Ventura between sixty and sixty three? Uh, well, uh, Long Eclipse is on the what was it got knocked off. Okay. Um, okay. I was, I was just trying to I'm doing the chronology. It was like, but uh, I just I'm thinking. Can you so if that's true? Can you imagine the impact that thing made if it's only two years old? And it's, I kind of can. Yeah, no, I mean, no. I, I mean, I, I can only imagine. I mean, it was. It must have been a. Well, body. it just seems like you always talk about. Do we have something like that as two years old. Filmmakers, right now, uh, particularly, uh, yeah, oh yeah. Well, uh, the newest one that was on a lot of filmmakers' lists that I thought might act in was um, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. That got on a lot of filmmakers' lists. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, well, I, I'm, I'm thinking. What, what about? And in terms of impact, what do you think about Pulp Fiction? Should, uh, should that, or... Was any Tarantino movie on? Ooh, that is a big slight. Yeah. Wow. You would think that maybe... If Lynch is on there, if Lynch could make it with a couple, you would think One of Tarantino the... could be on there. I mean, uh, and, and, and we, they, they, like Eric and I, the other night, was like, uh, you know, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. We were just like throwing out directors. We we're like, oh, Wes Anderson, uh, P.T. Anderson, uh, Aronofsky, all these different uh, uh, recent names that right. that we just love. We we rush to the theater to see, and none of them on. You know, there's none of them on the top 100. Well, um, Harold Bloom, I guess, apparently had come up with a phrase called the anxiety of influence. I didn't know that, that originated from him, but um, you know, these people are like, just if you like. Filmmakers talking about things that impress them, and maybe they don't want to be fess up exactly on what has influenced them. But all these are Tarantino in particular, very influential to every filmmaker. That's that is all right. And then to uh, 1972, Citizen Kane's still number one, 31 years old. Rules of the Game, two, 33 years old. Battleship Potemkin, 47 years old. Eight and a half is nine years old. Love and Tour is now 12 years old. Persona is six years. Uh, Passion of Jonah Arc, 45 years old. The General is 46 years old. Magnificent Ambersons comes in at 30 years old. Uh, you get to his 19 and Wild Strawberries at 15 years old. Yeah, the general, I think, has a has a prominent place for a while. But I think now it's, it's that romantic view of the South in the general might, that, might hurt it. That's why? Well, possibly. Because I mean, well, that film's just, you know, a master. That's a freaking masterpiece. And it's, it's down at the very bottom uh, this year. Well, the, 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 the recurring thing of, of all these lists are there's a, like... I find that there's a very silent cinema, not biased, but uh, push. Uh, they want uh, nonverbal cinema. Um, they want pure, what's called quotes, pure cinema that does not use dialogue to tell its story. So silence, we're going to be. But I mean, you're noticing the pattern that these are get, these movies are getting older and we're staying the same is my point. Exactly. Okay. 1982, Citizen Kane still number one. Rules of the Game still number two. Uh, Citizen Kane is 41 years old. Uh, Rules of the Game is 43 years old. Seven Samurai, uh, first Kurosawa one, I think, in, in there. 28 years old. Singing in the Rain comes in at 31 years old, really high. Eight and a half is 19 years old at five. 
six battleship potemkin 57 years old seven we have three sevens love and tour 22 years old magnificent amberson's 40 years old vertigo makes its first appearance at 24 years old uh the general 56 years and the searchers 26 years what year what year is that 1982 82 i'm going to withhold um the vertigo rant until we get to it taking the number one spot um do you want like, i do want to bring up though one other thing i loved in tarantino's book him taking down the searchers a peg yeah, there's there's quite a few things. Well, you know, and that's I remember when I discovered David Thompson's Encyclopedia film. He he would take down uh, pegs on. I take down taking down these guys that were untouchable. From I thought, I thought some of these directors, you know, uh, were totally you, they're, they're the greatest and, and blah blah blah. And then also here's this major critic going, oh no, we'll take a look at this and this, and I'm like, oh wow, okay. And maybe we think of then so the same thing with Tarantino. Uh, oh, I should be clear. I think The Searchers is a great movie, and uh, but it's very similar to my feelings on Vertigo, where it's like it is not the Morning Star. It is <laughs> you might you might want to check our uh, John Ford episode out. There's John Ford has made so many great movies, and it's just like I feel like people worship it just because they want an excuse <laughs> that, to, to feel okay liking John Wayne, basically, because John Wayne's then it, it, a role conscious of like the mythos of the West and how he embodies that. Well, that the end of the Fablements with the the office and the camera f- cranes and cranes uh, pans around with all the, the Ford posters on yeah. the wall and yeah. the music plays. Yeah, and just like and you go but to get a big gulp in your if you're a film fan like we are. Uh, I mean, we we talked about this in the Ford episode, but uh, one thing to admire about Ford is the pace and the quality framing of the, and framing. Well, I'm just saying, like these things were immaculate and made, and he's sometimes making three movies a year. <laughs> All right, we are to 1992. Citizen Kane still in number one spot with 51 years old. Rules of the game is still two, 53 years old. Tokyo Story comes in, 39 years old. Vertigo moving up, 34 years old. Searchers still in there, 36 years old. Letalant comes back in, 58 years old. Battleship Potemkin, um, 67 years old. Passion of Joan of Arc, 65 years old. Panther Panchali, which I think is making its first appearance, 37 years old. And Kubrick finally comes in, 2001, is 24 years old at 1992. No commentary. Okay. I, 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 I got so many things. I've so many thoughts rolling in my head. Just like, so you know, why this particular decade, this year, and then uh, is it are different voters? You know, what kind of voters are voting? Every, it feels like uh, every year expanded. I had, a, I had a number of voters, but they, they were, these first few polls were surprisingly low. They would only have something like 60 to 70 people voting, critics. And, but I wanted to point out to you, in 1992, none of these films is under 35 years old. Or excuse me, uh, 2001 is 24. That was the youngest. Now we get to the 2002 list. Citizen Kane's still there, 61-year-old, but creeping up, almost there. Vertigo at 44-year-old, supplanting rules of the game back down to three at 63-years-old. An aberration that didn't get that got changed by 2012 was uh, they decided to combine Godfather 1 and 2, which were 30 and 28 years old, or 38 and 20 years old, respectively. Number five, Tokyo Story at 49 years old, 2001 34. Uh, seven battleship Potemkin, 77 uh also at seven a favorite of mine sunrise which is 75 years old at this point number nine eight and a half is 39 years old and singing in the rain is 51 years old at number 10 in 2002 okay are we ready for the 2012 poll sure my standard spiel about vertigo being the quote greatest movie of all time is 
I don't even think it's it's barely in my top five Hitchcock movies from the 50s because uh, my number one, Strangers on Train, two would be probably Rear Window, then North by Northwest, then um, maybe Dial in for Murder. And then it's a question of, do I think Vertigo's better than uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much remake? <sighs> Vertigo isn't, but you understand. See, I, I'm really surprised that uh, Vertigo's but- problem is that it's 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 celebrated because it's Hitchcock's subtext is made text into a movie, and yet then the plot seems is bizarre. Doesn't feel like it worked. It's an oddly structured movie. It's got this bizarre two act, two part. But people like De Palma and Schrader when they saw it, they came out and wrote Obsession and did Obsession because of That's Vertigo. Fine. I mean, I'm just I'm just uh, I'm just, I'm thinking. Uh, well, there, I also have that thing which De Palma's remade Vertigo, I think, like three times. <laughs> Between that, Femme Fatale, uh, Body Double. Um, I just so uh, I, I yes, they're not. Vertigo is not as um, is not a crowd pleaser, in some ways. That, uh, that's fine. And and I, I know, but I, I, I but that's why I think um, it gets dogged on because uh, we, we uh, Hitchcock is so worshipped. And then there's the you know the rear window. There's uh. Well, it also got a lot of love for being the forgotten Psycho Hitchcock and, movie too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just really surprised that like a filmmaker like you're a filmmaker that you you understand what he's doing with this film, uh, right? But it's but you're just putting your your more entertaining films over that because it's not entertaining. No, just because I don't think the subtext is that interesting. I think like when you're 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 you t- a filmmaker, I think it, I think it would be. I guess you're you're just basically saying I've been in charge of a lot of blondes and I control them in an interesting way. Like that's not a well. It's also what a film, but in a general sense, is what a filmmaker does too, uh, and, and and not just. I mean, he's got a blonde, but I I, mean, th- I think people overplay the confessional aspect to that. I just don't find that as interesting as it's like Rear Window is way much more interesting commentary on film or film going than Vertigo is. Like. I'm more interested in what I, as an audience member, than I am like about. So, what is your theory? Then, what what do you make of it being so high? Then, a few things. I think just Hitchcock being kind of, um, not, you know, a few years away from Hitchcock Truffaut book and getting the, I mean, it's the forgotten Hitchcock movie because it was lost. It seemed like it was quasi lost forever. Again, him making the subtext text is, and him being confessional is appealing to some people. It's just. I mean, I, not me, I would be just as loopy as just to go, let's just put Psycho at number one. I mean, in terms of just... I would be fine with that. Yeah, I mean... I would be just totally fine with that. Uh, Strangers on a Train is the great underrated Hitchcock movie to me, though. I don't know, underrated, that's the right word for it, but... Maybe not underrated. And and to be but, fair, I think if you made the argument Your, your that, Dali M for is underrated. You, you've got Dali M on your top ten. Yeah, that's pretty underrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've never seen it in 3D. I've always wanted to see it in 3D. But um, Strangers on a Train, if you made the argument to me even that you didn't like it, but you're like, oh, yeah, but the uh, merry-go-round sequence is one of the greatest sequences. Is it possibility that the academics and the, the real hoity-toity guys, critics, they're going to say, well, we got to put Hitchcock, uh, but I, I'm not going to – I'm going to – I'm gonna put, I can't put his most popular movie there. Yeah, I can't put I can put the one that pleases us the most and and uh and, and put let's put something that, that is uh problematic and makes you think and that's vertigo, you know, in terms of it's just not a pop you, you can't you know, that's the thing with the you know, in America for you know, it was the French critics that said, Hey, wait a minute, this guy's an artist, you know, we were just like he's a popcorn make you know, we eat popcorn and enjoy his films, you know. 
I think that's fair. I mean, a lot of the the questions of a canon bring going back to earlier what I was talking about. The it seems like the point of a canon is to bring it down, but also to also give a, a like no. argue against it. I mean, that's the point of lists. Like these are my favorites. Here's what I agree with. I haven't seen that. I should see that. I disagree with how. Well, seems like the personal list I came up with. I would. I. I like. I love to share that with people because they go, "Oh, I've never heard of that. What is this one? What is this one?" Well, as opposed to everybody sort of wants. But you know the trick that 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 why a list sometimes can be as cold as opposed to when you're talking to someone and telling them your list. Yeah. You are selling them on the movie right. with, with your enthusiasm with how much you love the movie. Exactly. When you just put down on paper in numbered order. Like it's a gauntlet's thrown down, and you're like, it's almost like an impress me. Um, well, anyway, finishing up the 2012 list, Vertigo was 54 years old at number one, Citizen Kane now at number two, 71 years old, Tokyo Story, 59 years old, Rules of the Game, 63 years old, Sunrise is 85 years old. Right, this number six, 2001 is 44 years old, number seven, The Searchers, 56 years old, making in a really cool appearance, a movie I love, Man with a Movie Camera is 83 years old. Number nine, Passion of Joan of Arc, 85 years old, and eight and a half, 49 years old. Yeah, uh, Eric tells me, like you, you, you mentioned, you were pointing out the, how old is Sunrise, but he'll like he'll show his class that city scene out of Sunrise. It's just like, look, look at this. It's a silent film. Look how amazing How this visually is. sophisticated yeah. that thing is. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, and just, I can't believe they pull out. And then on the 2022 list, uh, Jean Delman makes its appearance 47 years old. Vertigo, 64 years old. Citizen Kane is now 81 years old. Tokyo Story, 69 years old. In the Mood for Love is at 9, 22 years old. Uh, 2001 is 54 years old. Beau Travail is 24 years old. Mulholland Drive is 21 years old. And the movie camera is 93 years old. And Singing in the Rain at number 10, 71 years old. And we're up to date. Maybe I'm just not sophisticated enough. Maybe I, I'm not. I don't. I don't really think I'm. I, I, I want to be a smarter person. I don't think I'm that that smart. Uh, but I read. And I remember when I first started attacking at foreign films. I remember thinking, I'm really dumb. Like, I don't understand this. I'm really dumb. <laughs> I got to read films. And, and I finally, you know, over the years, I finally started to, you know, evolve a little bit, uh, hopefully. But uh, I don't know. So with that in mind, I don't know if I would put. I'm. Bo Travel and In the Mood of Love, do they need to be do they deserve to be that high? I I I, I don't think I'm I mean again I haven't seen Bo Travel. Yeah. Uh that was the one big one the top ten. I didn't revisit it because I was I think I scratched my head on that first. Claire Denis obviously become very influential in the last few years yes. and beloved. Um in the mood for love? See, here's the thing is Wong Kar Wai isn't I feel like um his reputation's kinda gone down the last few years. Yeah, well yeah, he's kind of slowed down too. This is like he's this product productivity. <laughs> I, but in the mood for love, is very expressionistic kind of amazing movie. Right, but it's 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 also is it uh, would you consider that slow cinema? In the like like in the uh, um, Schrader uh, list, like compared to like uh, well, Bellatar or something. Well, yeah, that's really slow. Hey, Bellatar. No, right? I wouldn't. But, well, but but what about? I don't think I would. Care. Now, I don't think I would. Does the Ackerman film? Since you've seen it. Yes, it's that like, that is slow cinema. It's, it's doc, almost on the verge of being documentarian. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's what it, there's a lot of like wide frames where you watch her like uh, cooking. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I got a sense that's what that was so impact, impactful. The 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 uh, the, uh, well, the, the, the the length of it is because it stays with a scene and the detail of life. I haven't read all, all Schrader's book, but the, the the trick of a lot of slow cinema is that like the it, it it's the rhythm uh lulls you into when something really big happens, like the impact is that much more amplified. Yeah. I mean and that's what happens with Jean Delman, yeah. 
I'm just thinking, here's, for example, one film I think probably deserves to be in the top ten. And I don't know if it's ever been. I, I think it hasn't been on. I don't know if it was, has been on the list or not. Uh, I didn't do all my homework here. Uh, the original King Kong. So um, I, mean, I was going to eventually go down some uh, other individual people's list, and I have our former guest, uh, Tim Lucas, and King Kong's on his list. Yeah, that's what made me think of it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Anytime I, every time, anytime I watch King Kong, I marvel at it. It absolutely <laughs> never, I never get, I, I never get bored with King Kong. I, I marvel at it and, and contextually and even just. Well, you know, and, some, something you're pointing out, I think that is missing almost entirely from the list. 2001 is an exception, but for the most part, spectacle. They like the, these lists really do, or do not have any uh, appreciation for, and spectacle is a pretty significant part of what makes movies Cinema and work, you know. Uh, Mr. Spielberg put uh, the, the world's greatest uh, story. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's Truffaut said that uh, what cinema does best is like uh, intimacy and, and spectacle combined. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's a good point. I've always thought like Lawrence Arabia. One reason it's such a great film is it's it's a little small scenes, a little things you can quote that are small amongst this big giant canvas, right. you know, of a film. Yeah. So. Here's the ones that got knocked off. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, we got uh, Greed. Okay. Uh, what, I mean, what do you think of that? I Well, what do you do about damaged films? You know, Greed's a very damaged film, even though it's pretty good. I felt that I felt that way in uh, Magnificent Ambersons. Like I, I, I really want to love Magnificent Ambersons, but like when you read about the, I've, I've complained to you about this. Every time I rewatch it, I'm just like, I can see the scenes. Yeah, I'm Pat Gary Bully Kid, another you know damaged film, but some call it a masterpiece, you know. So, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's does it deserve to be on there when it's well, got there's problems? Also, there's know? also the ones like like currently there's that that really cool campaign to try to find the lost cut of magnificent ambersons but oh, there's man. but there's always that feeling that like look if it's really lost we have to acknowledge this is what we got this is potentially <laughs> pat garrett billy kids probably that way too where yeah uh intolerance uh the i i i'll butcher this name it's the one I, th- with- I think intolerance going off is just the uh everyone really wanting to uh Stick it to birth of a nation, kind <laughs> yeah. of. Even though if tolerance is, is Griffith, one of, get out of here. We don't. You, you, that, you, that broken blossoms. Blossoms are supposed to be his apology. But. Yeah, um, the Bunnell's, uh, you know, slash the eyeball film. Uh, what's uh, oh, um, Unshine Andalou, which is a short too. That's off. Well, uh, I mean, how many shorts were? Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's a, yeah several shorts on there. There's one and one documentary, but uh, two uh, another two more uh, Renoir, Sean Renoir. Renoir. Yeah, Grand Illusion, and oh. and then uh, one I'm not even sure of. I don't know what the English um, title of it is. Parti de Campagne. Parti de Campagne. I don't know. Yeah, I have to look. That. I'm blanking. I, well, I mean, I, th- I think about Maybe if I read it, because this is how this works for us. We read them. We don't say them out loud. My academic uh, chops are. Uh, I, I'm supposing my uh, my Achilles heels here. When was the last time you were in France? <laughs> Me never. The Magnificent Ambersons. Tough, uh, what we you mentioned, Touch of Evil. That one hurts. If you go to my letterbox page, Touch of Evil is on my top four of all time, probably. Uh, uh, another Michael Powell film got knocked off. I mean, there's still still two on the list. Still. What got knocked off? Uh, the Life and Death of uh, Carl Blimp. 
big Scorsese favorite. Oh. I, you know, I I need to rewatch that, but I I don't remember being as blown away by that as some of the other Arrows movies. Now these next two are, are surprising. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the English version of the of the French title, Children of Paradise. Okay, that's that's I you know man, that's a film that just like when I you know you read about it, you hear about it, you see pictures of it, and then I finally saw it and it lived up to the reputation. I did not disappoint. The Jean Vigo movies that are on this list that I, I was forever for. I finally got up to them and like that, that was, they, that was the same way with those. Yeah. And then, um, uh, and then the other one, of course, is Lawrence Arabia. That's amazing. They got, it's off the list. Uh, and then a lot, Eclipse, Eclipse, Lolly Eclipse, um, the wild bunch. is off. That's an interesting choice. Yeah. I mean, but I mean like if, look, if this is list is the corrective is to get machismo off here. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, uh, Aquarius, Wrath of God. Interesting. Okay, hey, so I guess there's no hers on the list, probably. Uh, Chinatown. Oh, that's, that's probably because of Polanski, I guess, in this day and age. Well, then, um, if that's true, then I mean, it's it's just weird. It's the, the, yeah, I guess the politics of it makes sense. Godfather Two. I find that baffling. Uh, Nashville. That ba- no Altman's on the list. Either. No Altman. Not even McKay, Mrs. Miller. I don't think so. Oh wow! And then, I, I, the the um the filmmakers list blended it a lot in for me. Yeah, too, that's so. true. And then the and then Raging Bull. And I'm thinking I, I myself if I was this they would send me the list and I was voting on it I would put I don't think I'd put Goodfellas on the top 100. I would certainly put Raging Bull on there. But I wouldn't. So wait, Goodfellas is now supplanted. Goodfellas is on the list. Is in the list. Is that the only Scorsese on the list? Uh, Taxi Drivers on there. That's it. Okay. So, <laughs> wow! I <laughs> raging bull. I'm, I'm, I'm. That's a, that's you know pretty amazing. Um, well, the, the the other big question I want to ask you about is you know we try to detail why this was the big list for a lot of people, and I think it's an interesting choice, and it's not something that was specifically done to to this expansion. Like it's not something that was like, but what does this do to the credibility of the list, especially in an era where lists are everywhere and um. I think the only advantage they have is that they've been doing it since 52 and it has some gravitas to it a little bit in this day and age that nothing has gravitas to it. This day and age is so fleeting. So hopefully, you know, there is, if some, a a kid comes up to me and says, you know, what I, what should I start watching? So you you could hand this to them and say, well, this is a good place to start. Especially if you're interested in world cinema. Yeah. uh, Because you need something. um, And I, and, and I, I just, I the, uh, every year I, I hear people uh, a lot of my friends I go oh this is a, this is a, a bad year in cinema this is an up year this is a down year yeah I never think that I, I never me, do me neither because I got there's so much to see and I never see it and all of a sudden it's like uh, I had this two or three films on my list to see or I even bought the Blu-ray and put it on my shelf and it's like three years later I still haven't watched it or or I haven't had a chance that's to a, that's a Ted specialty there <laughs> yeah and I haven't had a chance to uh, or an opportunity to watch it. So wait, or how are you going to watch John Delman now? Are you going to have people over and do a thing? Well, actually, over the uh, uh, a couple people, uh, college people, uh, said, let's have a viewing party over the holidays because uh, they haven't seen it either. I'd be down for it. You know, I mean, you know, the, it's like a three-hour yeah, movie. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that was I'm, one thing that helped me. I'm just afraid. For a while. I'm over, I almost want to watch it by myself first because you get in a, in a, 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 a group of friends, and if it's, this is slow and uh, meticulous, uh, I can see us also start talking during it. And I just I don't want any you know interruptions or talking. I, I I'm pretty 
I'm a pretty concentrated film watcher. No, no, I just I I if you're seeing the the newly coronated greatest film of all time and you start talking in the middle of it. <laughs> well, it could be. That could happen. I could see, I could I could totally see it happening. I'm yeah. just saying like uh Yeah. Cuz you know, it's like it's not going to be like, you know, uh uh you know, bouncy bouncy uh <laughs> uh fun stuff. Uh it, I mean it is I mean, I I want to hear your reaction to it. It's I you know, that's the thing, you know, and it's another thing. Uh People don't want to. And this is not a this is not a slam on anybody. It's like people want to watch films be entertained. Part of, uh, and and people have different levels and interests of entertainment. I like challenges. I like problematic things, and I, I mean, that's where I'm kind of as a as a as a diehard filmmaker, I'm filmmaker, film fan, uh, wannabe filmmaker a long time ago. I really started appreciating like what are they trying to say here? What's going on? And be uh, and leave the film thinking well, I got I, I got to think about this I got to figure this out what's going on here and most people don't want to a lot of people don't want to do that you know that's uh, so and, and that plays into the list what do you you know should Raiders of Lost Ark be on the list yeah you know I mean I uh, I, I think there's always I mean it gets typified in the um, critic versus the average audience member debate but there is this question of like. I mean, it goes back even to the question of like, what is your favorite film and what is the top 10? Because like a lot of this to me vibes with the top 10 people submitted for this list is what we think should objectively, we should all agree on yes, as opposed yeah. to the movie that the 10 movies that have uh, got, uh, I've enjoyed the most or taught me the most. And, you know, I keep on having to remind myself I'm in a minority and I, I, I run across people at work and my friends and they're they're super enthusiastic and diehard about films, but it's only a certain type of films, and they don't want to get outside that envelope. And I gotta appreciate that. I gotta, yeah, uh, my, and I, I mean, I was gonna say, don't as you, especially as I get older, like I just keep feeling like as much as the, I always frame the question as uh, how many movies have you seen? Because the thing is, if you've seen uh, ten thousand movies, you've seen ten thousand plots, so therefore it's harder to impress you with a new plot. But if you've seen three thousand or two thousand. Or you are easily impressed with the same old plot that you've seen multiple times. But I feel like the reaction of, if people are into film at any level, it's a legit reaction. We all think and live in stories. Right. Well, yeah, but, uh, well, you know, now we get into uh, being elitist or I don't, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's a debate that's um, going to be me constant correcting uh, amongst ourselves and with others. So it's, it's just, it's an interesting conversation to continue ha- to have. Because like, you know, with Quentin, you know, you just listen to his podcast, read his book or see his films and, and he's going to almost like rethink, making you rethink about these exploitation films. Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, this is, this is some cool stuff to, to check out. I mean, I've uh, a lot of times I've uh, a lot of the films that he's just slobbering over. I remember the camp. I remember the bit in the theater. I remember the movie ads. I remember the reviews, uh, and they were kind of like, eh. And then I, I would pass on it, and yeah. he's just slobbering over. I'm like, well, I better go back and check that out. Now. But there's some you you you've seen that you see what he's talking, and you did. Enjoy oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, about. it's but not. I was more of a. I was more of a Nella. My dad, I was, you know, my dad influenced my taste probably because it was dad driving to the theater and he could see what he wanted to see. So we saw most, like, I'm thinking like, what did, why didn't we see any Jerry Lewis films? They were still playing when I was a kid. That'd be a good film. To, that would be a good thing to drop me off to see or whatever. But I think dad never wanted to see Jerry Lewis films. I mean, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how did my taste develop and how did I get into the place I'm at, you know. 
I don't know if um, we'll ever have an answer on what are the objectively top 10 greatest films of no. all time. Um, what is the format? Who's an agreement? And who, do we all have to abide by this, the, the choosings of the science sound poll? But it's, it's an interesting list. I have a lot more movies to watch now because of the list, so I'm happy. But yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of glad to see newer ones pop in there and totally, and, totally. And, I think and, I think and, I and check it up a little bit. Uh, per on my reading of those, how old those movies were, like there were, this did seem like a lot of newer movies in here. And of course, with the internet, the digital world now, uh, so easy accessible, we have first of all, you're, we have a great access to the, mo- the most of the films, and uh, and then also you can go back to the older list, and if you you know that's and, a very valid point, and and say you know okay. Uh, this got knocked out, but it was on the list for like you know three or four of them. So I should probably check that out too. And in, 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 I mean, curation is all the big question where people like when streamers are sho- shoveling too much content at us, like trying to figure out what to watch. This is still a good guide. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and more documentaries probably need to possibly need to be on. Do, do they or should they be on there? Should shorts be on there? There were two animated uh, Miyazaki films, two animations. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that, that was, uh, was that should should there some missing some other animation films on there? And I'm also thinking. I know. I I know you're gonna roll your eyes when I say this one, but it, it's not because of Lester, but because Hard Day's Night. I think Hard Day's no, Night. I'd be fine with that. Hard Day's Night and uh, and uh, Baby Don't Look Back. You know they. You know because uh, mm-hmm. uh, they changed. Uh, you know rock and roll films. You know? And I do want to finally say, based on the controversy, like where I'm at right now is I even if there was a thumb on the scale, I think. Uh, a 12 year old girl who wants to maybe get into filmmaking uh, right now, as opposed to 10 years ago or 20 years ago, just sees this as much more of a possibility now. And they can see other women filmmakers that like, I can make something like that. And then there's just this general feeling I have that like, if the canon's going to change because more women voices are voting into it, then your perception on what a movie uh, is good about a movie. It's like you, you, Listen no, no, to, no, no, no. We definitely need it. Yeah. I what, what do what do women filmmaker or film goers want, like is something that maybe needs more of a voice. So well, this is this. a good thing for that. Yeah, get this. There was only two females on the, on the ten years ago. Really? And now there's eleven. What were the two ten years ago? Ackerman and uh, Claire Dene. Have you seen Daughters of the Dust? No. Okay, I have seen that. Yeah, uh, that was an interesting choice. I thought. But eleven films, uh, eleven females, and then uh, uh, ten years ago there was only one black filmmaker. Really? What was it? Uh, that uh, that uh, killer sheep, Tuki Buki. Uh, it's on the. I think it's still on the list. Uh, and then, uh, but it's now there's seven films by blacks on there. But Moonlight, I was like really surprised. I was kind of neat to see that pop up there, really. Uh, yeah. In there. Well, uh, well, do the right thing was in the top thirty now. Yeah. <laughs> I I, did, I didn't look. I didn't do like again. I didn't look at the last list like you did. I did was did, uh, what's one on the west was it on the list last ten years ago. Well, I mainly only looked in the top ten. Yeah, he, I was. He laid on. He's hanging on there by. Uh, he's one of the ties. I think he was 95th on ninety fifth tie. He was on Tim Lucas's list. Uh, real quickly, I wanted to get in a few more people's uh, list, even though we don't have access to the um, thing. John Carpenter's list was only angels have wings. Chimes at midnight. Real Bravo. The street car- charm of the bourgeoisie. Chinatown. Bringing up baby. The searchers. The, the exterminating angel. Scarface and no, the, the, the directors Vertigo. Voted, Vertigo. The directors voting also were included on the the, the main list, the main one. I believe so. Or, or, uh, uh, yeah, this would be of, of them. They got, they got, they, so they're 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 spread over. They're they're top their top ten was on and counted on each 
list. There's a yeah, yeah. List. I mean, these are their submissions for the director's list. Director's uh, list, but not not the overall list. They, no, no. They didn't, they didn't. This is for the director's list. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I misunderstood. Um, Michael Mann got a lot of shit in 2012 because he put uh, Avatar on his list. <laughs> uh, his current list is uh, Apocalypse Now, Battleship Potemkin, both 2012 and now he put uh, Inaritu's Beautiful. You know, the one with uh, Javier Bardem? Oh, okay. Uh, he put Doctor Strange up on there. He put uh, Sisson Kane on there. Passion of Joan of Arc. He put Raging Bull. Out of the Past, Pale Flower, and Confessions? I don't, I don't it's a, I think that's a newer movie. From 2010, a Japanese masterpiece, frankly controlled, rigid, it's unheralded high art. Is, it was his comment. Huh. Then getting to Scorsese's list, uh, Bong Joon-ho put in Psycho, The Housemaid, Rocco, Rocco and His Brothers, Vengeance is Mine, Raging Bull, A City of Sadness, Cure, Zodiac, Mad Max Fury Road, and Happy as Lazaro. And Scorsese's list, which uh, he goes over the 10, which he's done like every time. 2001, Eight and a Half, Ashes and Diamonds, Citizen Kane, Diary of a Country Priest, Ikaru, The Leopard, Ordette, Paisa, The Red Shoes, The River, Salvatore Giuliano. I don't know that one movie. Um, the Searchers, You Get To, and Vertigo. If you haven't seen any of these movies, go see them. There's movies I haven't seen too. So. It's interesting. Scorsese shows he's he's not doing contemporary films. Uh, he's doing obviously Scorsese's going to Scorsese. Yeah. Whereas uh, I think Carpenter said, "Screw it. I'm I'm bulk of his list is like stuff that he just loves. You know whether you know they're good, all good, but I'm just saying." You know, he's not going to play because I I would double think myself. I'm like, okay, should I, I need to put something important on. Well, here. I don't and, you know. I don't have Edgar Wright's list on here, but like naturally, he put American Werewolf in London on there. <laughs> and that would be I bet that just did a number on him when he saw it as a kid. You know, I mean, he mentions yeah. that movie all the time. Yeah, it, I I actually I, it's I got a soft spot for that film too, just because of the tonal changes in the thing. Sure. Uh, all right, so I guess that's uh, a the a curatorial list of uh, what to watch from. Yeah, I think the bottom, don't you think the bottom line here, folks, is that don't fret it, don't get upset, and just and use the list as a guidepost, and then make up your own list, or uh, or don't worry with the list, and just, but you're going to see a lot of good films. Uh, well, either way, you're going to see a lot of good films. Yeah. All right, that's it for this episode. Ted, thank you for joining me again. Oh, it's a pleasure. Hope we keep doing this again more consistently. Uh, yes. Yes.